Father, we come and just offer ourselves here. Speak to us, challenge us, let your word come alive. Father, we just ask that you would uh, meet every need. God, you know what the needs are here this morning. You know the struggles, you know the place where every person is. And God, I pray as we dive into your word this morning that God, it would be like a two-edged sword and it would cut, but it would also heal. It would bring peace as well as opening our eyes to your way and your will. God, hide us in the cross. God, hide me in the cross as we study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Last week was the 51st anniversary of one of the most famous speeches ever given in the history of the United States of America. On August the 28th, uh, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial overlooking the reflection pool, overlooking the National Mall, and gave what was to become his most famous speech. It was a speech that ended with these words. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightened Alleghenies in Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies in Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain, Georgia. And let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain in Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill in Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and hamlet, from every state and city, We'll be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. Not anyone that was here or anyone that's heard that speech given, it's electrifying. The words, the imagery, the, the power of the moment of Dr. King's words. Especially today, uh, as we look around our world, we see that this is uh, an admirable, uh, even a worthwhile goal as we look and we see uh, tyranny abounding around the world, persecution abounding, even in our own nation, uh, dissension, uh, destruction, division. Yet even today, if we lived in the freest nation in the world... Even today, if we had all of the guarantees that our Constitution guarantees us, if those guarantees were applied equally to all men, even then, we would still not experience freedom. Because, see, freedom doesn't come from a government. Freedom doesn't come from the people. Even our Constitution and our Declaration recognize that freedom comes from God. And you see, for those of us this morning recognizing the truth of the Word of God, we would recognize that the reason we can't be free is because mankind is enslaved to sin. Sin has used its tentacles to reach around and enslave each one of us. Jesus Christ says in John eight thirty four, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That we are in bondage as a mankind, in slavery to ourselves. You see, you may be free as far as the world is concerned. You may be free as far as our nation is concerned. But when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our spirits, we have a world that is enslaved. And good words won't do anything for it. 
Romans 3.10 tells us that there is no one righteous, no, not even one. Paul goes on in verse 23 of that same passage to tell us, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in this room have missed the mark. All of us in this room have, have at one time or another allowed sin to penetrate our spirits. We've allowed sin to control us. We've become in bondage and trapped by sin. You see, that's what sin does best is it traps us. It enslaves us. It holds us captive. Renders us powerless to do anything. We can try as hard as we want. And many people try all kinds of things, but nothing can get you out of the clutches of sin's hold except Jesus Christ. See, sin's goal is your destruction. No matter what it is in our life, whether it's lust or anger or pride or envy and lying, materialism, drugs, unforgiveness, destructive behavior, whatever it is, it keeps us in its claws. And even knowing this morning that sin destroys relationships, that sin wreaks havoc, bringing misery and pain and destruction in its wake, you and I are powerless to do anything. You see, freedom is not something that you just talk about. Freedom is not just something that that we uh, bring up and say lightly. Freedom is something that our spirit and our souls yearn for because all of us are enslaved. But there is a hope this morning. There's a hope for you and I. There is a hope that is explained in the good news. Whether this is your first time at church or whether you've grown up in church, you need to understand as we've studied the last couple of weeks in the book of Ephesians that before the beginning of time, before God ever spoke the world into existence, He recognized that there was slavery to sin. He recognized that man would give in to his sin nature He recognized that sin would become an enslaving characteristic for mankind. And Ephesians 1 tells us that before the foundations of the earth, God developed a plan. We've been talking about that plan. We've been looking at what that plan means. It was a plan for sin, but more importantly, it was a plan for those of us that are entrapped by the sin that so easily destroys. The good thing about that plan is it wasn't a plan just for those that were good. It wasn't a plan just for the religious. It wasn't a plan even for those that wanted a plan or those that desired a plan. You see, this plan that God developed flowed out of His very nature. The plan that God developed before we were ever around flowed out of who He was, out of His goodness, out of His holiness, out of His grace. Out of his loving kindness. And his plan reaches even to this place this morning. There was a plan that would cost him deeply. You see, his plan involved God becoming flesh and living among men. And then at the appointed time, giving himself as a sacrifice on a cross. And shedding his own blood for the payment for the sins of mankind. See, that plan was a difficult plan because it cost God His only Son. He paid dearly for freedom. But what we've understood is that this plan is available to every person in this room this morning. You see, no matter where you are with sin, no matter how much sin so easily entangles you, no matter how trapped you are by your past, by your regrets, By your actions this morning, God's plan is sufficient. 
This morning we've been discovering that God's plan reaches down, not because He thinks we are worth it, but because He is worth it. And it reaches down and it is sufficient as payment so that you and I might be set free. But the most incredible thing about this plan is it just didn't offer forgiveness and freedom. It offered so much more. See, so many people today think that that salvation, that this plan that God has is all about me getting to heaven. It's all about uh, something that's going to take place in a future time. But but that's missing the Gospels. It's missing the New Testament. You see, this plan that God developed from the beginning of time was so much deeper. It's more than walking down an aisle and saying a prayer or getting wet in a baptistry. You see, God's plan offers abundant riches and blessings. And it was these riches and blessings that brings Paul to our passage this morning as he is contemplating how much God has blessed him with. And the greatest of those blessings is his salvation. And he's unpacking what that means. And in the middle of that, he comes across this passage that reflects back on what it really means to be redeemed. You see, I think many in the church don't understand it. We don't understand what that freedom means that Christ so gave to us. We don't understand how that impacts our day-to-day living. We, we talk about it. And we sing songs about it. We tear up when we see videos about it. But yet the question is, how is that impacting your day-to-day walk? How is that impacting your relationship with your spouse? How is that impacting your relationship with your kids? You see, Paul understood that there is so much more and as he's thinking about are y'all hearing old Gordon, I'm gonna use this. Test, test. There you go. Now can you hear me? This is universal sign. Yes, no. Paul is in the middle of this this contemplation of the grace and the glory and the freedom that comes in God, and as he's thinking about it, he's overwhelmed. And that brings us to this this beautiful song that he writes in Ephesians chapter 1. In the last two weeks, we've looked at the first part of the song. You see, if you look at chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 14, that is, we learn that's one long sentence in the Greek. One long sentence that Paul just pours out his heart about what salvation means. And people break it down and say, well, the first part is about God's plan in the past. And the middle part is about how God's plan works today. And the last part, verses 11, 12, 13, 14, talks about how God plans for the future. You, some people like to break it down and say, you know, the first part that we looked at in the last two weeks, 3, 4, 5, and 6, that deals with God the Father. And this part today, 7 through 10, that deals with Jesus Christ. And, and the next part deals with the Holy Spirit. And all of those things are true. Well, what happens in breaking it down and getting caught up in some of the language, we've talked about the predestination and the idea of election and the idea of chosen. We get so wrapped up into all of those things that we miss the central part of the passage. We really hammered it home last week that it's not about us. It's about God. See, the overwhelming principle that Paul is trying to get to in Ephesians chapter 1 is to help us realize that God didn't save you for you. He saved you because that's who He is. And in saving you because that's just the plan that came out of His gracious and good and blessed heart. You and I get to be a part of it. And He begins in verse 7 to explain how we get to be a part of it. 
So I want to read that, and we're going to look just for a few minutes at a couple of key words, just like we have been in each of these passages, and talk about what it really means to be free. Because while Martin Luther King's speech was incredible, and it was monumental in the life of the United States of America, Paul's speech here in Ephesians chapter 1 is even more incredible to the believer this morning. So if you are a saint, as Paul calls them, if you are the faithful in Christ, or if you are one who walks with Jesus Christ this morning, this is your message. This is your declaration of freedom. And I want you to hear what he says. We're going to go back and start in verse 3, the whole sentence. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing, He's given us everything that we need in this life. And Paul says, what are those blessings? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in our passage for this morning, in him, in who? In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. Now I want to read it to you from the Message Bible, because I think Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible has it uh, real concise. And you've got it there on the blue sheet you can read along, but I want you to listen to what he says. Verse 7, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood being poured out on the altar of Christ, we are a free people. Who is a free people? The church, Christians, those that have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said, you are now free, free of penalties, free of punishment, chalked up by all of our misdeeds, and not just barely free. I love that. You're not just a little free. You are abundantly free. And God thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plan He took such delight in making. And He set it all out before us in Christ. A long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. You see what Paul was saying is free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. Not because any constitution or any nation gave it to me. This freedom has nothing to do with the ability to congregate or speak my mind or a form of government and has everything to do with the grace and the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says this freedom is abundant and can never leave me. You see, it's a freedom of life from life. What is he freeing us from? He's freeing us from a dead-end, sin-filled life to a joy-filled, abundant life. We talked last week that a famous uh, politician or or a preacher's wife that was on TV and talked about God wanting us to be happy and happy is fleeting and God could care less about our happiness as much as he's concerned about our holiness. Because you see, this freedom doesn't bring happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is what happens when your football team wins. Happiness is what happens when you get excited over making a good grade or you get a great meal. Those are happy things. God doesn't concern himself with your happiness. You see, what God's concerned with is your joy because, you see, joy is something that springs up out of a freed heart. 
See, what he wants us to understand, church, listen to me, that you have been set free. And it's a freedom that was developed in eternity past and it lasts till eternity future. Each week we've been looking at one word and kind of keying in on that one word. The first week we talked about saint and what that word means, who we are in Christ. Then we talked about every blessing that God has given us, every blessing. He's not holding anything back. He's not waiting for you to get better. You've got everything you need in Jesus Christ. We talked about election. We talked about being chosen before the foundations of the earth. And then last week we talked about God's glorious grace. We talked about holiness. So this morning I want us to just look at a couple of words here to help us wrap our head around what it means to be free. What it really means for the church. What it means for your life. And if you're a believer this morning, this freedom is yours. If you've never experienced this kind of freedom that we're going to look at, it can be yours before you leave this building. Free at last. First word he uses in verse 7, he says, We have redemption. Now we saw it in the song, we saw it in the video, redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? You see, that word redemption is not a word that we use much today. It's, it's not a modern word. It's an ancient word. And so when we say redeemed or we say redemption, it's not something that naturally comes to our mind because we just don't use it in our everyday conversation. It's an ancient word. It's a word that was usually used to describe slaves or prisoners of war. The definition of redemption is this, securing someone's freedom with a payment of a price. I like another definition says it is setting someone free from a situation where they themselves are powerless to liberate themselves. It's paying a price or a penalty that they themselves could never pay. You see, Romans 6.26 tells us that the cost of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Sin will always lead to death. And you and I can do nothing to pay that price except die separated from God. See, because of sin, because of that bondage we talked about earlier, because of that slavery, you and I cannot pay what separates us from God. You can come to church all you want. You can try to do good things. You can write a big check. You, you, you can try harder. I hear people tell me all the time, I'm trying harder. I remember a couple of weeks ago when they were interviewing the mayor Bloomberg who was leaving his mayorship in New York and they were talking and he was talking about all the good things he had done and, and they said, what do you hope to get out of it? And he said, well, maybe it'll help me get to the front of the line. People were joking about it. I said, it breaks my heart. It's not something to joke about because there's a whole mess of people in the United States of America that think that same mentality that if I only try harder, if I only do good enough, then somehow that's going to help me pay the price for my sin. When the Bible clearly says the only thing that can pay for the sins, missing the mark, the things that we do that breaks God's heart is blood. And you'll pay it with your blood or you'll pay it with His. If you pay it with your blood, it's the only chance you'll get. You see, we need to understand this morning, Paul tells us that Jesus' death on the cross, His shed blood paid for it all. He says, in Christ, His blood redeemed. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. I, I love how Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. But it was with the precious blood 
of Jesus, the Lamb without blemish or defect. You see, if you and I had to pay the payment for our sin, guess what? It wouldn't last. In the Old Testament, you, you may remember, they would take a, a lamb and they would sacrifice a lamb and they would use that blood, on, put it on the altar. They would take it to the Holy of Holies and put it on the mercy seat. And that blood would cover the sins of the nation. But that's all it could do. You see, that blood didn't get rid of the sins. That blood didn't remove the sins. All that blood did was cover it for one year. And then the next year they would have to come back and they would have to do it all over again. You see, what Paul is trying to tell us is that one time when Jesus freely shed His blood for you and I, it's done. See, it was the ultimate payment. You know what that means for you and I this morning? It means that our debt has been paid in full. Do you know what it means to be redeemed? It means that your sin is paid in full. It means you don't have to hope for something else in the future. It means that you don't have to wait uh, like a down payment. It is paid this morning. You have been set free. Notice that it says, we have. And that idea of we have, he says, we have redemption. The same way he says, you have been blessed. is because we need to understand that redemption is not some future act. It is for right now. You see, some people think that I'm going to accept Jesus Christ. I'm going to get saved because that's going to help me get into heaven. Listen, heaven is the byproduct. Heaven is the bonus of accepting the redemption. He says the reason that we have redemption now is so that we might glorify God in our lives. So that we might experience what life on this earth is like without being in bondage to sin. We have it today because we have a purpose today. You have been redeemed if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You notice that Paul doesn't just use the word redeemed here. He adds something with it. Because you see in... in, the ancient times, you might be redeemed. If you were a slave, someone may come to you and say, you're redeemed. Uh, I paid the price of your slavery. And so you're free, but then that person that paid the price could come back to you and say, listen, I paid $200. I'm going to have you work it off to pay me back. Or if you were a prisoner of war and, and somehow your family raised enough money, the governments didn't do it in those days, your family raised enough money to be able to, to get your freedom as a prisoner of war and set you free. Many times the family, all of the family that came together to give money would say, okay, now you owe us to pay us back. But you see, what Paul wanted us to understand is that when Christ paid a price, He didn't just set you free. What did He say there? Redemption through the blood the forgiveness of sin. Because you see, he wanted you to understand is he didn't just pay the price. He wiped clean what your bill was. See, he doesn't even remember how much it cost for him to pay the price for you. You see, you're not only set free and redeemed, you're forgiven. That blood took your sins and removed it, as the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west. See, so many people that, that live in freedom still walk in bondage to their sin because they haven't forgiven themselves. And true redemption, true freedom only comes when we let go of those things that Christ paid for. It only comes when we take the shackles that, that so easily entangled us and kept us in bondage and we throw them away. But so many believers are walking around this life still carrying the shackles that have been cut off. You see, church, what I want you to understand, what, what Paul is trying to get at this morning, the shouting part, 
We've been redeemed. We've been set free. Do you understand that? You're free. Free. I don't think you get it. I don't think we can wrap our head around it. Say it with me this morning. I'm free. No, you don't get it. I'm free. Say it like you mean it. I'm free. How about I'm redeemed? I'm redeemed. You understand what that means? Let me just help you for a minute. Because I think you're saying it kind of like you did with saint, kind of like you did with every blessing a couple of weeks ago. But in the back of your head, you're saying, yeah, Rusty, I'm free, but you don't understand what I did. You don't understand what brought me here. You don't understand uh, how I, you know, I, I don't have anything to bring to the table. Here's what I want you to get. Your anger paid in full. Your lust paid in full. Your unforgiveness paid in full. Your drug habit, your addiction, your covetousness, your your bitterness, your pain, your past, your regrets, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, redeemed, 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 redeemed. You're free. You see, what you and I need to recognize this morning is that not only the shackles have been cut off, God's blown the whistle and said, now run, because you're free. Why do we still live like captives in bondage when we've been paid for? You see, Paul helps us to understand, and I'm almost done, that we were set free for a purpose. He gets on later in verse 10 to tell us it's to be to the praise of His glory. We know that God's whole plan is so that God might be glorified, to be to the praise of His glory. But really what we need to understand this morning is God sets us free so that we might live a life that reflects the one who paid for our freedom. Not because He paid for our freedom, okay? God's not looking for you to pay Him back. I don't live the Christian life. See, I'm not in church this morning because God died on the cross, because Jesus died on the cross. Okay? Somebody says, that sounds kind of crazy. No, that's not the reason I'm here. You know why I'm here? I'm here because I cannot stay away, because I'm so appreciative of the one who gave his life so freely for me. And there's no place that I would rather be than with a group of people that are free, just like I am, singing about how freedom is available for all of those that are outside these walls that are captive this morning. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I get to. I do it because I want to. I do it because that's who I am now. You see, what Paul says here in this passage is not only does he, he set you free, not only does he give you forgiveness, it says there in verse 8 that he lavishes upon you his wisdom and understanding. And those two words are usually found together in the New Testament. Wisdom from, from the Greek word Sophia. That means the ability to see the things that you couldn't see before. It's not a worldly wisdom. You see, it doesn't have anything to do with age. It doesn't have anything to do with life experiences. Those things can give you worldly wisdom. This is a spiritual wisdom, you see, because what Paul is trying to help us understand is that when you're set free, now God opens your eyes. And you can see the things that you couldn't see before. Like what? Like His will is what He says in verse 8 and 9. Now all of a sudden you understand and you see God's hands. People around you go, wow, that was a coincidence. And you go, there's no such thing. Somebody says, isn't that cool how that all worked together? It was not an accident. Because God was working. 
When a prodigal comes home and, and a family rejoices, it, it, we look around and people say, I never would have imagined him coming back. I never would have imagined him turning his back to God. And we as believers can say, I knew it all the time. Why? Because I've been praying and I believe because I can see what other people can't see because I can see that God has a plan. He says he gives you wisdom and understanding. You know what understanding is? It goes hand in hand with wisdom. It's the ability to live out the wisdom that God gives you. You see, what Paul is saying in, in a tight, concise way, the way the writer of the Message Bible said it, is that you've been set free and you've been forgiven. And on top of that, if that's not enough, I mean, that's shouting from here till eternity. That is getting outside the walls and helping every person we see in bondage this morning get set free. If that's not enough, he says, he also opens your eyes so that you can see what he's doing and why he's doing it. We call it discernment sometimes. It's the ability to see God moving in and around and at work in our lives and the lives of those around us. But here's a clue, and I'm almost done. Here, the reason some of us don't see the wisdom of God and the reason some of us don't understand, we don't see God's will, we don't see His hand. Some of you this morning, you're struggling with it. It's because you don't believe you're free and forgiven. Because you see, until you recognize and claim the freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ and start living free, you'll never see all that God has for you. Because all you'll do is stare at the things that kept you bound down. See, church, listen to me. It's time for us to stop crawling. It's time for us to stop being in bondage. It's time for us to stop making excuses and start living the life that God redeemed us for. It's time we recognize the joy that passes all understanding. The power to look at a mountain and speak to a mountain and have it move. The faith that comes when we understand and believe that God is working in our midst. That comes when we understand we've been set free. You know why it's so important? Because he ends this little part of this song by saying one of the things that God lets us in on is that there is going to come a day when all of this will be over. He says there in verse 10 that there is coming a day, use the word fulfillment, when, when as, as the psalmist writes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's coming a day when that redemption story will end, when Jesus will come back, not as a lamb, but as a roaring lion, not as a suffering servant, but as a risen Savior. And when He comes back, God says, he will reign. And we will experience a freedom like never before. But there's so many around us that won't. See, what gets Paul worked up, what should get us worked up is this morning, maybe the person sitting next to you is in bondage. Maybe that person across the table from you in school or at work is in bondage. Slave. And you have the story of redemption on your lips. Paul said, live a life that sings redemption.
We've been set free. You've been set free. You've been forgiven. Like the people in the video, I am redeemed. I'm not who I used to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, I believe there's some here this morning that are in bondage. I believe there are some here this morning that that God, they may have been in church for a long time and, and they've done some religious things, but Father, they've never accepted your freedom. They've never accepted your redemption. They've never given themselves over to you. And God, I pray this morning that they would just say yes to you. God, there's many believers in this room that, that have been set free for years. They, they've been forgiven for years, and yet they still crawl. They don't run. They don't chase hard after you, and it's because they've chosen to carry the shackles that you cut off of them around with them. They beat themselves up with them. They, they hold themselves back and use it as an excuse. Father, I pray that every shackle would fall this morning. God, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which paid the price, which means I don't have to go out and try to earn anything. It's done. I don't have to try to go out and and be better to get you to love me more because your blood tells me that there is nothing I can do to make you love me any more than you do right now. And there's nothing I can do in this world that will cause you to love me any less because it's not about me. It's about you. Father, we worship you. Speak to hearts. Set captives free this morning. Uh, Challenge us. Direct us. Let us walk with the redemption story on our lips to those that are in captivity. Let us say this morning, I can run. I'm free. In your name we pray. Amen.